Coming up on Tech News Today, Samsung strikes back, Google gives up, and Amazon and Sony are still down. All that more coming up. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Tech News Today is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Tech News Today for Friday, April 22nd, 2011. Tech News Today is brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy online invoicing service that gets you paid quickly and makes you look professional. Get started with a free package at FreshBooks.com. Welcome to Tech News Today. I'm not playing Portal 2. I'm Darren Kitchen. And I'm Anigo Montoya. And I'm Jason Howell. And this is the show where we don't play with our new playbook or play Portal 2, but tell you the tech news of the day instead. It's a good idea. Are you still For them. <laughs> and it's, and it's uh, Liquid Friday. Move a little closer. Uh, yes, it is Liquid Friday. I'm drinking a Brooklyn Pennant Ale from the uh, Brooklyn Ale Company. Darren's got I'm double pale drinks. ale. There we go. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, I've got the pale ale as well. I've gone with the brain tonic. Because mm. I need all the help I can get. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you need more brains. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it tastes like brains. <laughs> Samsung's got some brains, and they're putting them to the test in suing Apple. This is a countersuit. We, we talked earlier in the week about Apple suing Samsung, uh, and Samsung getting a little pissed off because Apple's one of their biggest clients. Now Samsung has returned fire. They've uh, filed 10 alleged infringements against the iPhone and iPad. Uh, They filed five in South Korea, two in Japan, and three in Germany. They mainly involve power reduction during data transmission, 3G technology for reducing errors during data transmission, and wireless data communication technology. Samsung hasn't sued sued Apple in the United States just yet. They haven't filed a countersuit against Apple's actual lawsuit about its uh, whole uh, slavishly copying the iPhone. Uh, PC World had a good write-up explaining why they went ahead with this kind of, of strategy. When Samsung sued Apple and all these other places, the idea was they'd go to the most favorable courts where they would get a win, maybe, and then they could use that as leverage. And we, uh, Florian Mueller, who does the FOSS Patents blog, has a really good uh, graphic uh, on Scribd, which sort of takes you through the whole thing. If you want to get a visual representation of it, uh, you, you can see the, the different places that the suits have been filed, which suits are filed where. Uh, and even even if you if you page through it, he'll he'll take you through the timeline. And right now, it's not that interesting because it's one volley and another volley. But I think he may be expecting that this will get more complicated and more suits will be filed. In the long run, it's going to look like a schematic, you know, of engineering length. So you're going to see like a resistor somewhere. Right. What, what's nicest though is is on the fourth page where you actually get to see the breakdown of all of the patents that they're you know actually suing about. Uh, this one here, thirty four seventy nine eighty three. My favorite oh, that one. one. Yes. Yeah. Is <laughs> the I overall design of the product, including the rectangular shape and the rounded corners, the silver edges, the black face, and the display of 16 colorful icons. What about the magical and revolutionary? I don't know if you can patent magic. Patent magic. That's what Apple is. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll keep you updated in this ongoing battle. What I'd like to do one of these days is actually uh, go and, and make a map of all the warfare that's going on. We, we attempted this one time last summer uh, when Microsoft and, and Motorola started going at it because there's so many people suing each other. It's like World War One, 
you know, with uh, like all these battles breaking out all over the place. And yet it's all intertangled because not only is it the wars, but it's also the partnerships. I mean, like you said about, uh, you know, Apple being one of Samsung's biggest customers is actually their second biggest client. Brought in something like $5.7 billion in sales last year. Yeah, second only to Sony. Samsung and Apple are holding hands or one, one set of hands, the other ones that are stabbing each other apparently because they're best buddies who are killing each other. Yeah. yeah. We still we'll still take your money though. I'm sure they're going to work this out. We'll like, still cash yeah. your checks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Amazon's EC2 is still down now. This this was a big story yesterday because it knocked so many different sites offline. Most of those sites have recovered in part, at least. Uh, a, a lot of sites are still doing uh, partial service. Amazon uh, struggling with its EC2 servers for over well almost 48 hours now. I mean it's it's, it's been a couple days. Uh, they keep saying hours as estimates for when they will finally have all the volumes back up and running. They're, they're actually restoring from backups, it sounds like, from a lot of the updates they've been making. Which yeah. is similar to when the airlines tell you, oh, no, we're going to take off in 40 minutes. Don't go anywhere. Yeah, it's, it, it seems like they are not... Amazon has still not given us any official explanations. It's always been these status updates on their status page. And uh, a site's gone, been made, ec2disabled.com, which actually shows you all the sites that are affected by this outage. I mean, it's it's interesting to see how many sites use Amazon. I mean, when you take a look and load up ec2disabled.com, you'll see this huge list. And uh, you can see the status and some things are read-only. But uh, what do you figure? Like a couple more days? Chess cubes back up. So is Flavor Pill. Yes! So did you guys get into it yesterday about the uh, elastic block storage issue and, and the whole thing with the um, with the zones and the locations? No, tell us a little more about that because we didn't get into as much detail. Yeah. Well, just the, the for those that are interested in the techie bits, it seems like there's a problem with their uh, their you know the the thing they call ESB, their elastic block storage of AWS, the uh, Amazon Web uh, what is it called Web Storage, right? And it seems that they they divide things up into both regions and then zones. So like uh, they have five regions, like in the U.S. on the East Coast and West Coast, and then they've got one in Europe and then two in Asia. And then within those, they have multiple, quote-unquote, availability zones. And these uh, availability zones within those regions are the idea that, you know, you're hedging your bets by placing your stuff in different regions. So if there's, like, a catastrophic event, you know, since these are supposedly different data centers, that they wouldn't have that much of an issue. But it seems like most of this is localized to their facilities in northern Virginia. And though companies have put their information on multiple of these zones in Northern Virginia, that being a region, uh, they're still having issues there. So I guess the question is, you know, while Amazon doesn't, isn't, you know, very specific about what those zones mean, are they data centers? Are they different floors of the data center? It doesn't seem like, you know, the best practice that they told their customers of, you know, uh, putting their stuff in different zones is, uh, is working out so well because people are having to move to different regions instead. Well, and we don't really know if, if it's because of a failure of that system or if some other issue is, is causing a problem that's getting in the way of that system working because Amazon is not talking about it. Now I understand why. If you're an engineer and you're trying to fix it, the last thing you want to do is stop and explain to somebody exactly what's going on so they can write a blog post about it or stop and write a blog post yourself. Uh, so, so I get part of the reason of the lack of communication, but now over two days, it seems like their clients 
deserve a little more of an explanation of of what's been happening and what's being done than just the status updates. The status updates are good, and and I'm not saying Amazon has been absolutely horrible in this, uh, but the status updates are very vague. They you know they say this is what we're trying to reconnect right now. This is how long we think it's going to be to take. But none of it talks about the underlying problem. What's causing this? It's it's not just Amazon that's being uh, unresponsive about what's going on. PlayStation uh, or Sony is having problems with their you know PlayStation. Uh, dot com and, and their network there and uh, they haven't tweeted and last I saw like it was reported it was like 18 hours and gamers you know like Portal 2 just came out come on like gamers want to link that up with Steam and get their multiplayer action on I know I'm glad I activated my, my Steam account on PlayStation before it went down Oh, so does that hedge some of that? Are you allowed to, to now use the service? You know, I don't know if you, can, if you can use that Steam code without activating it on the PlayStation Network or not. Mm -hmm. I did it that way because that's the way the instructions told me to do it. Yeah, well, the buzz is that, you know, Sony's down because of, uh, you know, the attacks from Anonymous. Well, that's, that's buzz, but that's, the, but the yeah. Anonymous says it's not us. Sony sucks, but we're not, we're not yeah, attacking them. they had an them. official yeah. blog post up, and they even had a TLDR version on their site. Quote, Sony is incompetent. They're blaming Sony for this whole thing. Uh... Well, because Sony's relying on Amazon in this case. Well, is it, are they? Well, I don't know. It seems related. Uh, I've seen some people speculate on that, but but it doesn't seem likely considering that the PlayStation Network went down several hours after EC2 went down. And with EC2's outage, more sites have been coming back online since right. it first went down. It doesn't make sense that Sony would go down later. And PlayStation, this isn't the first time that they've gone out in the last few weeks. Uh, in fact, um, Anonymous took credit for taking them down just previously before the uh, GeoHot uh, suit was settled with uh, Sony. Right. Yeah, okay. uh, a dev at Q Games still blames the hackers, said PlayStation Network's being DDoSed. Uh, quote, we had a big free Easter weekend shooter to unlock plan, but we had to give it up because of the stupid hacker PSN DOS attack, idiots. Oh, well, yeah, maybe. Now, are they hey, just hey, saying that or Don't... do they know something? I mean, I think they're just saying Associate that out of frustration. hackers with uh, DDoSers. Yeah, Sony's, the same thing. Sony's yeah. PS blog they actually have on there, we wanted to alert you that it might be a full day or two before we're able to get the service completely back up and running. And there's, there's more to that blog post. Uh, so figure a couple of days and you can be offline or you could use a different gaming system. Could you imagine not being able to game for like a full day or two? I mean... Well, you can game. You just can't game online. Right. You, well, you I guess you could like... Or you could go outside and like play kickball, but who no, knows no, how no. to do that that's, anymore? That's the sun Wait, burns like the fire of Metroid. Just have your friends come over and play co-op right there. Forget there's no lag. Yeah, LAN parties. This yeah. Is really, I think the, ri the LAN parties are really going to rise this weekend. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to all get together and bring our rigs. The LAN party index. Is yeah. expected to rise twenty percent. <laughs> That's what analysts say. I hear people yeah. uh, familiar with the matter. Have people been familiar with the matter it. reporting. Yeah. All right. Let's take a uh, quick break and thank our sponsor, FreshBooks, for their support of TNT. Darren Kitchen would be very poor if it weren't for FreshBooks. <laughs> no. Or it would be. It would take me forever to do it because I used to be doing it in uh, not Excel spreadsheet, whatever the open uh, open office version. Well, wait, of Excel you, is. So you'd be sending out invoices slower, which yeah, oh, would mean you get your money so slower. I was so bad at it. So you go to FreshBooks. Uh, you sign up. Up, uh, you create your client, uh, put in all their information, and then when it's time to send an invoice, you just say what the job was, what the rate was, it creates the invoice for you, it can slap your logo on there for you, and it emails it out, uh, and it follows up if they don't pay on time. It does all of that work for you. They'll even, for a, a slight additional charge, buck thirty-nine per invoice, uh, send copies of the invoice in the mail. They'll, they'll print it out, put it in an envelope, slap a stamp on it, and put it in the mail for you uh, for those those. Clients that you have that may not accept an invoice by email. So try it out for free today. You get up to three clients for free. Setting up account an account is a piece of cake at FreshBooks.com, which is why they want to give you a whole cake. 
Uh, if you tell them TNT sent you, every day FreshBooks is giving away a birthday cake to one of you, and it doesn't even have to be your birthday to win. So try, check them out, facebooks.com, uh, and tell them TNT sent you so we get the credit, and they know that uh, you guys are listening. We really appreciate their support and yours. I just responded to your dispute for the $100 million I invoiced you for awesome. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll sure. be looking at that shortly. Uh, the iPhone tracking story will not die. Every news organization under the sun has seen this as an uh, opportunity for a follow-up or investigative piece. Uh, and we have actually heard from Alistair Allen and Pete Warden, who kicked this whole thing off with their presentation at Wear 2.0. They respond to a lot of the criticisms in the press, uh, they, uh, they, they said four basic things. First of all, they pointed out that they cited previous research in their presentation and in their online post. They weren't trying to pretend that nobody had ever done this before, but they did apologize to Alex Levinson, who we had on the show earlier this week, and said, we did miss Alex's research, uh, and we apologize. We should have included it. Uh, we just we didn't find it in our search, but we're going to add it now. Uh, they note the usefulness of the data because a lot of people are saying, why are you worried about this? And they're like, yeah, if, if, you were, uh, if they were collecting this data with permission, there's lots of cool things that people could do with it. Uh, and they believe it's more than just cell tower locations involved. Some people have said, well, all this is is just saying it, uh, a phone pinged that tower, and it's really not that big of a deal. But they point out that some towers are located in, in multiple places on maps, and so they think it's, it is doing a skyhook type of geolocation. Uh, and they also thanked OpenStreetMap, who they almost brought down with their because with, their app uses the OpenStreetMap maps, and so many people were trying it out and using it. Yeah, they added a link uh, to their donation page, so because they put such a heavy load on OpenStreetMap, because everyone wanted to see what did the uh, iPhone or iPad show about their location. Uh, I also looked around online. I saw somebody notice that there's a Las Vegas bug. It's not just some people are showing up in Las Vegas that weren't there, and people that were. Apparently, they weren't showing up at Are all. Are you sure they didn't know they were in Vegas? You well, know, sometimes you go a, there and... There's an unpacking and testing center for Apple in Las Vegas, and a lot of people are suspecting that what happens is these phones get turned on, and that's the first thing they ping. Then they get put in, they get packaged and put in the box and shipped out, and, and so that's the first time they, they have a chance to, to ping the cell tower. Yeah, when it's packaged in, in Vegas, it stays in Vegas. No, actually, it gets shipped out. Oh. Oh. oh uh, yeah, well, yeah. the location data. But the data but the location data stays, stays on your phone. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> As it's shipped out. Uh, also, Apple, uh, in their filing with the, with the U.S. Congress earlier this year, some folks have pointed out, claimed that they intermittently collect location data, including GPS coordinates of many iPhone users and nearby Wi-Fi networks, and transmit that data every 12 hours. That was according to a letter that well, the company sent to Representatives Edward Markey and Joe Barton. They did that because they stopped using Skyhook, which was a service that you know collected geolocation of all of these Wi-Fi access points to quickly give you an approximate uh, you know geolocation. Uh, they decided to roll their own and... You know, that's just part of it. But they anonymize all of that stuff. It's sent with, you know, uh, it's sent every 12 hours from your phone, only when you're connected to Wi-Fi, and it's using this rotating hash of information that's, you know, not identifying it to, like, your Apple account. And a bunch of information about Android collecting data and sending it yeah, and to that, Google. In, in a Wall Street Journal article, they talked about how Apple was doing this, and they put in all this information about Google, and they looked at a, a security analyst uh, named by Sammy Kamkar saying his HTC Android phone was sending location data every few se seconds to Google. And uh, this panicked some people. They actually checked it out. Apparently, this, this fellow is has a shady background a little bit, but it turns out that the, this data is... Relax, Darren. This, da this data is accurate. Uh, and Google's saying flat out, look, we 
you can opt in first into our location services. And of course we're going to use this data stuff because we have location services. So they're trying to get trying to they're trying to mitigate this this uh, this fervor. Everyone's really losing their mind about this whole location thing. Right. Well, this is something you opt into, like you said, when when you turn on your Android phone for the first time and fire up Google Maps. It says, "Hey, would you like to anonymously help us?" Uh, you know, use your phone to. You know, remember they used to send the Street View cars to collect the Wi-Fi information. They got a lot of in, in a lot of trouble for because they accidentally they collected a little to. more information than they needed. To, Oops. Yeah. Well, you know, the, you know. Um, Using our people that already have Androids in their pocket, already using that navigation feature and stuff like that, helps them not only capture uh, information about Wi-Fi access points nearby and, and thus make their database of locations better, but it also helps things like the navigation app that shows you traffic. You know, when, when the phone can report back to Google how fast you're going on Interstate 80 or whatever it may be, that just helps everyone. And that's something that you, you know, I mean, I don't know if you read all the fine print, but that's what you agreed to when you clicked. Yeah, sure. I'll anonymously, anonymously send back to Google the information. And it's, as far as I know, not storing it in a uh, database on your phone that's available to anybody that's, uh, you know, any app on your phone. Right, on the Google stuff, they're yeah. also saying that they are, it's locked down to your phone. They're not sending it or connecting it with your, your Google ID or anything. So it's not personal Although information. Although it is sending the IMEI. Right, that's what they were saying, that it was going to be based on that phone. So you get this one data point, but you're yeah. not going, it's not going to be linked to that Google ID. So you're not going to be able to put it together. Uh, so it's supposed to be anonymized. It's, they, I think it's Although your IMEI is tied to your name and your account and all of this stuff, but this they, is, they say they've anonymized the token based right. on the IMEI even. If you, if you trust and believe them, that's the right thing to do. Yes. Yeah, and more importantly, it's not you know, stuck in a plain text file on your phone. So if you lose your phone, somebody couldn't, say, root it and pull off and, extra and extract where you've been, whereas with like an iPhone or an iPad 3G with, you know, uh, or, or any of those devices, iOS devices that do this since you know, the update 10 months ago, they could potentially do that. Now, we mentioned that Nielsen study that people are very, very tentative about giving out their information. They're very worried about privacy. They're worried about privacy probably more than they need to be worried about privacy. Uh, and so when stories like this come along, this is why they blow up sometimes because people are like, what? They're tracking me? I don't want to be tracked. Like, people have an almost unreasonable, not quite unreasonable, but almost unreasonable fear of this. And yet... They go out and broadcast their information without even knowing it all over the place. And tons of follow-up stories about how people broadcast their locations uh, just by posting photos. Most of these stories are saying, look, when you post a photo up, uh, for instance, a presentation at the Computer Security Conference Source in Boston. Ben Jackson of Mayhemic Labs and Larry Pesci, a senior a security consultant with NWN, described the way photos metadata is encoded with lat and long and you can go on Twitter. And they, they've actually, uh, there's a website uh, called I stalk, I stalk You or something. I Can Stalk I You. I Can Stalk You. With the, the letter U. Where they go on to Twitter, they look for your Twitter ID and any pictures you link to, and then they pull out metadata. And if they get enough pictures with various metadata, they're like, okay, then we know that Darren was at 150 West 1st Street in Collinsville, Illinois, and they post that up because you're putting that out there in your photos unless you're careful. Actually, I was at Weird Stuff, and that's what the application seeker from a Hack 5 year Nate wrote, uh, doing just that th same thing. It's, it's called EXIF data. It's inside of all of the JPEGs, you know, all the picture files that you take with your camera. It used to be on iOS, you had the option to just turn location services on or off. Since iOS 4.0, though, you can actually turn location services on or off based on uh, application. So you could leave location services on for the Maps feature, uh, Maps application, but you could turn it off for the camera so that every time you uploaded, say, a picture to TwitPic, it didn't include information on where you lived or where you were taking that photo. 
Uh, Ars Technica also noted a research report presented earlier this month at Usenix uh, from some Northwestern University researchers who presented new methods for estimating your location based on your IP address. <laughs> so what they, what they did is they used local businesses and government agencies to, as, as kind of landmarks, and they used the timing of the ping to determine how far away a server is, and then they're able to triangulate your address uh, and their address and figure out where you are. Yeah, it's so great. I, can I tell you how much I love this story, Tom? Because they're brute forcing your location based on known whereabouts of, of things nearby, like, you know, landmarks, like, a, say, like a library that's running its web server from its physical location, and then they ping it from multiple sources. It even goes far as sending trace routes from as many uh, um, servers as right. possible. To so the key is the trace route, right? Because yes. the ping gives you a, an idea of how far a server that's known is, right? So mm -hmm. they let's say there's a server located at 150, West 1st Street, and that's a known thing. You can, that's something you can look up. So once they find that address, then they run a trace route through you yes. and see if you're connecting to that server in any of the hops, and then they can figure out how far you are from that server based on the trace route. Hop. They're saying that the median estimated uh, uh, location they can find is within 690 meters away from the target's actual position. So that's, that's a lot closer than when it used to be where it's like, you know, you'd look it up in the database and, and mind you, this is all IP version 4 stuff. You'd look it up in the database and you'd be like, oh, I see you're on Comcast in the Bay Area, so now I can tell you're in the Bay Area. Or maybe I could tell you if you're in the East Bay or maybe what city you're in but not necessarily like, you're on this block. Well, and the thing about this is all of this can happen without your knowledge or participation, right? This, yes. this doesn't require an, an intrusion. This is just using normal network behavior. And so this could be sold to advertisers to say, you know what, we'll figure out the IP, where this IP address is, and you can advertise for the coffee shop down the block and give them a coupon. It's like super geo-targeted. Yeah, at some point, though, are people going to lose their, their idea that their IP address is going to be private? I mean, like, people, for the most part, when their phone number gets sent around. It's like it gets spammed. You get this do not call list and all this other stuff. But you get these calls like, hey, you should have a new thing for your car, a, a warranty or something. And you just kind of think of that, of that as an annoyance at this point. Your phone number's out there. And well, a lot of people protest and we get the do not call list Right, as a that happens. Do you think that for IP a do not addresses, ping list? Is that going to be? <laughs> is, That's is, a good is, point. I'm just kind of curious at this yeah. point. Like, is this something that can be, well, somewhat useful, obviously, for advertisers, but or were you going to just go, oh, it's just one of these annoyances, like the spam faxes, spam email, and these calls? I mean, this just is like, oh, look, the ad is really good. You know, I think it is different because an IP address is not something that, you, you, you know, is going to interrupt your dinner because someone's ringing the phone, right? It's less intrusive than an email address or, or a phone number is. An IP address is something where when I'm on a website, an ad might be more targeted to me, and arguably that's more right. beneficial. Right, and you know, there's no way to mask that. You can't be on the internet without an IP address, so the information just isn't going to get back to your computer. Now, there are anonymization services out there, but really what they do is they just tunnel your computer through their servers, and then as far as the website that you're visiting is concerned, you're coming from that anonymized source. So if, say, you've got so it's a easy service... easy to, to anonymize yourself. Yeah. Right. You'll notice, if you ever do one of those, like, flights with uh, GoGo Wireless Internet on, like, Virgin or whatever yeah. airline has those, if you use one of these services that tries to geolocate you based on your IP address, it'll always tell you that you're coming from San Francisco, no matter where you oh, are. Oh, see, in I the always air. get Los oh, Angeles. Yeah. Oh, really? You get Los Angeles? Okay, in my experience, it's always been SF, but that's but been there's probably through, two servers. That's been through um, Virgin, so I haven't. When I'm on Virgin and I try to check in on Foursquare, it always tells me I'm in LA. 
Right, and, and that's because those that's where the data centers are for GoGo or whatever the air, air Wi-Fi provider that you're using is. So it's the same kind of idea there. Will the average customer even notice this? The average internet user? They see this ad, it's perfect, it's right around the corner? Yeah, they'll think it's great. Like, hey, this is really good. But there, there's some nefarious purposes people could use this for, obviously. So it's, yes. you know, it's, well, it's just going to get a lot even more interesting when IP6 rolls out and everyone has a million IP addresses to themselves. All right, let's. Uh, we got a couple more stories before we get to news views today. Uh, IGN reporting some serious details about Nintendo's next console, now uh, being known as Project Cafe. Uh, the new stuff is they say the price will be three hundred fifty to four hundred dollars. It'll ship from Foxconn in October. Uh, so it could retail in, in October, but, but probably early November. Uh, price and ship date could be changed depending on Nintendo's strategy. If they decide to bulk up on a bunch of the supply, they, they might go early 2012, although my guess is they're going to want to hit the holiday season uh, and have people talking about how it's impossible to find them on the shelves. So they'll, they'll like go as the fast as they can. They could also sell it as a loss. So maybe 350 to $400 retail price on a normal margin, but they might drop it to $200 and say, we'll lose some money on it, but we'll make it up on games. Well, the hardware is, is the GPU is supposed to be faster than the PS3 or better than the PS3. Originally, the claims were it was going to be AMD Fusion, so you're going to have graphics and you're going to have the processor on the same chip. That's not the case in this thing. It's supposed to have a, a triple-core custom power PC like the Xbox, Yeah. which but, I'm wondering again. On the, higher clock speed, though. On, I'm still wondering, though, since the technology has already been out for so long, maybe they don't have to sell it at a loss. Maybe they will be, like, the margins might be high enough on this because the technology is kind of old, even yeah, though it's faster. It's, it's interesting you bring that up. It, that may also make it easier to, say, compile for that platform. It may be easier for the developers if it's already using hardware that, uh, that's, you know, they're already accustomed to writing for. It might be easier to have cross-platform games, like, like special that's things. That's never going to happen. Well, no, no. I mean, like, could you imagine the idea that, let's see, the PC motion, streaming. motion controlling... <laughs> As a standard on all platforms, well, that kind of happened. Steam is the cross-platform. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're yeah, that's all. That's all you got. Well, I find most interesting about the rumors are what they're talking about in the controller about rather than just the uh, the like the Wii Mote that we're used to having. Going back to the idea of two analog sticks, uh, like from you know the, the days of uh, the Nintendo. Um, GameCube. GameCube, thank you. Uh, but also in that, both a camera and a 6.2-inch uh, LCD. And now, in the video buttons. version, we're showing a picture from IGN of a mock-up of what they think it might look like. Uh, but this touchscreen that's in the middle of the controllers is pretty nifty-sounding. Uh, so it would be a 6.2-inch touchscreen and would uh, and would allow you to stream game information from the console to the controller and possibly act to control the game as well. So maybe your inventory can be on the touchscreen while you're playing a Somebody's game. Somebody's already screaming in the chat room, Dreamcast, and that's what yeah. I thought when yeah. I saw it too. Yeah. And I was like, the Dreamcast, I, I always thought about it for, for Madden. You'd play football, you couldn't right. see your own, you'd see your own plays Set on that. plays down there. And that sure. seems like what this thing could do. I now mean, these, like, these are all rumors. You can, you can yep. gauge for yourself how, how likely you think this is. I think it's likely that Nintendo's going to announce something at E3. I think that's 85% likely. Yeah, uh, I, I think the fact of this... Three hundred fifty to four hundred dollar price range. All of this, the rest of this stuff. Who knows? You know, I think a touchscreen uh, remote is is got a fifty two percent chance well, of okay. being true. Like it's, say. it's just likely enough that I could see it happening. But I could also see this being a misinterpretation of something. Absolutely, and you see why is because. Nintendo has to compete now with all of the smartphones on gaming. And what we've found with smartphones on, in gaming is that the control mechanism, whereas before with these, I don't know, first-generation smartphones like your, your, your Palm Trios and stuff like that, where you would rely on those hardware buttons and you've got like half the phone is buttons, half the phone is screen. When 
you know, with the iPhone and, and all of the other sense, you know, current generation smartphones where it's just screen and we put the controls wherever we want. You were just showing me on your playbook this racing game where you just tilt the screen and you don't, you just touch the screen if you want to, you know, hit the brakes. Um, that idea of, of being able to configure it based on the screen, uh, we, we've already, like, We've already given up things like physical keyboards to on-screen keyboards. And with gaming on these devices, we've already given up the controls to the on-screen stuff. It's only a matter of time. And looking at you know, the mock-up, if this has any merit, uh, of having eight physical buttons but then a touch screen, it just tells me that that might be the hybrid on the way to you know, the idea where like, we could all sit around with iPhones and an Apple TV and, yeah. and our iPhones become the controller. You know, or and, like, and we should point out these rumors uh, say that the Wiimote will continue. Yeah, that well, they, that they'll they won't get rid of it. They'll either improve it or continue to use it, and the, so you'll have two different types of controllers to choose from. I'm excited just because it looks like a more serious controller, and you know, it, given the uh, specs and the price points that are rumored, it seems like a more serious gaming console. They're also considering the name Stream, yeah, the because, Nintendo Stream, because theoretically that system is supposed to be able to stream the games to your actual controller. So well, might not you know, have it. I know. I'd Here say that there's no chance for them to make a stupid joke name like that, but then they named the first program, or the first, the other console, the Wii. So Codenamed Revolution. Had an awesome... Oh, yeah, Revolution was yeah, a great right? name. Bring that back. This one's Project, Project Cafe. Project Cafe ain't bad. I, so maybe they're going the other way, like terrible name first, and the second name will stream. It does not sound good either. Well, what do you do with your Wii? Uh, move on to stream. Google is uh, apparently talking to Spotify to power their music service since the talks with the music labels are breaking down. Uh, at least that's the rumor. Uh, Google is allegedly in negotiations with Spotify, and they've told the labels, we're going to see if we can strike a partnership with Spotify because at least they have two labels signed up. We got none. Does Google strike you as a company that has a partnership, or they just buy things? Well, they that's bought that's why I think it's kind of strange, the idea of like, mm -hmm. hey, tell you what, you guys have no power in this, in this kind of uh, negotiation, you know, and we'll just bring yes you on no. You're absolutely right. They, with major stuff, they usually just buy it like, like because they've got the cash. They just come in and they open up a briefcase and everybody bows and says, yes, buy me. Uh, but then they have done partnerships. They partnered with Lala uh, for search results. Uh -huh. uh, so you remember if you searched on a song, right on the top, you, could, you could actually play it in line, and that was, that was uh, provided by Lala until right, Lala they, went away. They were just modifying their search results. This is that yeah, they're not, trying to enter into that field. Like when they did uh, a Voice, they went out and bought Grand Central. And, uh, and I remember Grand Central. It was a fantastic interface. And then Google made it look like Google. So I'm afraid what they'll do to Spotify well, well, and when they you, use them. When you go back to the whole Lala example, Apple bought Lala. And that didn't do anything for Apple being able to take those negotiations that Lala had already figured out mm -hmm. and implement it into their own system. So Although maybe buying Apple, Spotify. Apple signed a uh, cloud deal with Warner Music. Mm -hmm. too. That's what's being reported. Or at least that's a report. Mm -hmm. So... Right, but they're still having to renegotiate those things. It's yeah. not like buying Lala gave them all of those rights, which would be the same thing here with Google. Maybe working a deal with them gives them those rights without having to buy them and then renegotiate everything. You I wonder if all I mean? these talks have been breaking down because of all these earnings reports we've been reporting. It's like, hey, look, we're making full loads of cash. Tell you what, the record industry is going to be like, you know what? You know, we're not. We can get better licenses. <laughs> we're not making as many boat loads as we used to. So That's what they're trying to tell you. A canoe me. load. We need more boats. Give us some uh, more of your boats and we'll talk. On now to the news fuse. Oh, it's a news fuse time already. In case news.me and Trove weren't enough, now Google has a way for you to get personalized news. Yeah. News for you will now include stories based on your news-related web history. The product also introduces recommended sections in the sidebar that suggest topics you can add to your news page as custom selections based on stories you've clicked on before. I actually tried to use Trove.com again this morning. Not bad. 
The PSP Go may not be entirely gone as we thought. Sony Computer Entertainment America, very easy for me to say, told Game Sutra the company will be continuing production of PSP Go in North America. Sony similarly ended production of the Walkman worldwide, but kept production going longer than the United States. But I would expect this to be just the death rattle of the PSP Go, not a resurrection. So it's, it's not the Phoenix. slow fade out. PSP Phoenix. Yeah. The next one. Hey, you, T-Mobile customer. Relax. It's going to be okay. But the I'm worried. No, no, no. Two reasons why well, you should just chill out. Okay, give me the two company, reasons. The company, the company won't, uh, it, while, you know, if it's sold to AT&T, it, it, that won't happen until as early as 2012. Okay, so you got some time. Right. And as part of the filing to the FCC, the AT&T has declared their intention is to let AT&T customers keep their current you mean T-Mobile rates. customers? I'm sorry. Th what did I say? AT&T. Oh, well. But they will be AT&T customers. They will be. Then. But, but, they've but said they're currently T-Mobile customers. If they swallow T-Mobile, then the T-Mobile customers get to keep their current data plan or their rate plans. And, uh, and if they ever upgrade, even if they upgrade to like a newer AT&T phone. So, you know, you get grandfathered in in that sense. And they'll, of course, get mobile to mobile calling and uh, even the freedom to switch to AT&T at any time. <laughs> yeah, freedom. They also said intention. That's the freedom. Yeah. Uh, attendees of Google I.O., their Google uh, uh, developer conference, usually get free stuff, uh, like Android phones, for instance, in the past. This year, Google is asking for folks to give to. Google is asking I.O. 2011 attendees for their unwanted, unlocked Android smartphones in a campaign dubbed Android for Good. Donated devices collected at the event will be donated to charities in developing nations. Uh, they insist that the Android devices should be unlocked and in good working order. So what if you want to donate your iPhone? They're not going to take it? Well, you can give it somewhere else, right? Sell it on Gazelle. <laughs> uh, you can donate today. to charity from them. So. Or just give it to Tom. Want to rank high in Internet freedom? Look to the Estonians. Abraham. I always do. <laughs> A report published by Freedom House has placed Estonia, the United States, Germany, and Australia as the top four in Internet freedom. Interestingly, Australia earned its rank by not doing something. Freedom House highlights the lack of actual censorship in Australia, pointing out that the highly unpopular proposed ISP-level censorship has been shelved since the 2010 Australian election. I guess if you defeat a censorship proposal, that, that should be marked in your favor, right? Sure. Yeah. Check it out. Yahoo! might be seen as dead or dying in the tech press, but according to Comscore, more than 212 million Americans suffered the web last year. I'm sorry. They surfed. They surfed. They probably suffered as well. Yeah, I'm sure they honest. did. Yeah. And once again, Yahoo! was the top destination, scoring 180 million unique visitors. Google trailed Yahoo! with 176.8 million unique, and then Microsoft, Facebook, and AOL followed the search giant with 176.4 million, 153 million, and 118 million unique visitors, respectively. BlackBerry Playbook maker Research in Motion said Friday it's in talks with Hulu about gaining paid access to the video website's content for users of the new tablet device. Hulu blocked access to its shows and movies from Playbook users this week as part of its broader strategy to pretend like tablets aren't computers and somehow require you to pay for things you can get free on the laptop sitting next to it with a bigger screen. Oh, I should pay $8 a month to watch it here, even though I can watch it for free here. It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard access of Access to the full web, asterisk. Yeah. Nice anti-competitive behavior. So it turns out that Ivan Kapersky may or may not have been kidnapped. 
But uh, either way, he's safe now. Kaspersky Labs, which no one can pronounce, issued an official statement saying that uh, neither confirming nor denying any reports of Ivan uh, Kaspersky's kidnapping and rather just gently asking the media to hold back on speculations and not to report on rumors or allegations. Um, Russian tabloid Life News broke the story and also reported on, uh, uh, on a supposed release of the security firm's father's son. Yeah, so uh, Kaspersky's saying, look, this, son. We, we don't want this in the press. Yeah. Stop talking about it. Mm -hmm. So we're not saying anything more about it. Uh, the U.S. Army has picked a smartphone that it can depend on. Is it BlackBerry? Nope. Is it uh, iPhone? Nope. Is it Symbian? No. It's Microsoft Windows CE 5.0 for pen computers. That actually sounds yeah. like the government. No. <laughs> it kind of does. <laughs> A prototype device running Android called the Joint Battle Command Platform, developed by tech nonprofit MITRE, is undergoing tests. So Android is their choice. Androids. An army of androids? That's what we need, an army of androids. Why haven't we been doing that? It actually makes a lot of sense. I mean, Android is really customizable. They could have all kinds of, of, of different skins for, I guess, like battle-ready situations. The little interface, the little icons might not work for that kind of thing. So it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a smart idea. Yeah, uh, General Peter Chiarelli, who, who actually is an iPhone lover, according to Ars Technica, uh, and is the Army's vice chief of staff, has boasted that the devices being tested can withstand the physical wear and tear of soldiering, but it remains to be seen just how rugged the smartphone is. Anything else ab about this story? It, it's green, like the Army. Okay. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> Let's move on to the calendar then. Sure. Let's talk calendar. Sprint's Google Voice integration goes live today ahead of its rumored April 26 launch. Happy first birthday, Facebook like button. Oh, we got to do a shot now because it's news views. Oh, I mean it, calendar. Oh, it's calendar? calendar. Oh, is, okay. it, is it time? Do you, oh, do you want to? Today marks the first time yeah. there will be a shot done on TNT. <laughs> Not happening. What are you doing? Just do, your, just do your show. All right, all right. Today is the day where the white iPhone was stocked by Vodafone UK. Uh, the Acer Iconia A500 Honeycomb tablet available for purchase at Best Buy starting April 24th. And the documentary Life in a Day, created by YouTube users, will hit theaters on July 24th. See, uh, Darren was saying earlier that he's got Red Bull, but he's got no vodka. Well, yeah, and they really, you know, on the Liquid Friday. So it's I, not going I don't know if you know, but we have this big Costco bottle of vodka. That's a huge bottle of vodka. Of that. And it just so happens that I always carry around with me a shot glass. So oh, okay. why don't yeah. you hook it up? Yeah. <laughs> wow, no one's ever opened this. Oh, really? <laughs> it might take us a while. I have to do some I'm work have on some that. Red Bull for now, and you work on that. Meanwhile, we let's go to the, the voicemail and hear voicemails. Yeah, they hear from Richard. Uh. Okay, we are we are done with the calendar. Right? He did not. Yeah, well, well maybe one day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Hey, Tom and the TNT crew. This is Richard in DC. Just wanted to say how much I enjoy hearing Ayaz on your show these days. I'm one of the people who is very disappointed to see Becky leave your daily lineup, and Ayaz is a great addition to your team. He's fun. He knows his stuff, and he challenges you a little bit. That's a good thing. Anyway, great addition. Can't wait to hear more. Ah, uh, I agree with everything he said. You, you must pick the voicemails, I asked. Yes, I do. I pick the voicemails. I pick the most favorable ones all the time. He did, so wait, keep he sending did, them in. I starred this, and, and I, he didn't even put it in the, uh, no, in the lineup. I, yeah, I don't handle compliments well. So thank you, um, Richard. Let's, <laughs> let's do we talk emails? Yeah. All right, let's move on to uh, the emails to TNT at twit.tv. Sure. We got an email from Justin Cardinal. 
on episode 226, the panel came to the conclusion that if you're worried about iPhone location tracking, then you shouldn't jailbreak. While I understand the rationale of that argument, I think it's worth mentioning if you don't want that data to exist on your phone in case of theft or you don't agree with the law enforcement being able to grab the data directly off the phone, being jailbroken is the only way to keep that data from being collected. Within 24 hours of this story breaking, there was an app called Untrackered in Cedia that continuously, continuously cleans the location data from consolidated.db. No, that's a good point. A lot of people made that point both on Twitter and an email uh, that you could get rid of this with, un, with uh, tra Untrackered. But I think what Alex Levinson was saying on the show yesterday was not that you know, that there's no way to use jailbreaking to get rid of this, but that if you're going to be really security-minded and do the safest thing possible, so in his defense, we asked him what's the safest thing to do, it's not to jailbreak because if you jailbreak, you might forget to install this program. You might not know about this program. Or if you install this program, it might turn out that this program actually isn't safe itself. Maybe there's a vulnerability in this program. Right. So it's that security mindset of what's the safest thing to do and that eliminates the most difficulties. It's this. You're not using that walled garden that Apple has for the app, so there is a chance a malicious app could get this data. Until, of course, you lose your phone, and then somebody installs that app and grabs the database. Right. It's not that it's not that one way or the other is entirely safe. Yeah. It's it's like what has the le what carries the least amount of risk, mm -hmm. and that's what security professionals are all about. Like you want risk reduction. You never believe that you're getting rid of all the risk ever. Well, I. I I agree to like the consumers, but I've always got to say that you know if if you want to really be in control of your phone, you've got to have you know or whatever your device is, you have to have root access. And going more so, you have to be using something that's peer-reviewed, open source. And I, and I think that's the point that Justin is making, and that's definitely a valid point. But that's not going to happen on uh, iPhone, so. Like you, like you said, it's the best of, uh, of your options. And our other email comes from Ainal, who's uh, released, recently begun to listen to the show from Malaysia. Welcome, Ainal. Uh, I hope I'm saying your name right. Uh, in the Network VD Day webcast, I think what prompted the organizations you mentioned in joining the Open Invention Network is the sale of Novell to Attachmate. Part of this deal was the sale of 882 patents owned by Novell to CPTN Holdings LLC, which is a consortium that includes Microsoft, Oracle, Apple, and EMC. This should have been interesting to observe because Novell probably owns many patents regarding networking and possibly Unix since it was a major tech player in the past. I'm surprised how little attention has been paid to this story. It was, though, interesting enough for the DOJ to step in and demand changes be made to the deal. Of course, any deal this size is going to get the DOJ's attention. Uh, but a really good point. Thanks, Inel, uh, for, for sending that along. I think that could have driven a lot of people into the Open Invention uh, Network in order to defend themselves against possible patents from Novell. Patents from Novell were key in the SCO case as well mm -hmm. uh, when SCO was trying to sue Linux. Yeah, patents frighten people. Uh, patents are frightening these days, the way they're done. Well, thanks, everybody, for uh, riding along with us. I hope you enjoyed the show today. Darren, uh, what's new on Hack 5? Oh, we just have our, uh, right now it's published our episode from NAB, the National Association of Broadcasters. We saw a whole bunch of cool toys. It has nothing to do with hacking, so if you're just into geeky gadgets and stuff, this is probably a good one for you. And then we've got even more fun, uh, you know, packet sniffing and eavesdropping. And, <laughs> and live stuff. Yeah, and the live stuff. We've got live stuff coming out. So, uh, yeah, just, just keep an eye on hack5.org. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Twit.tv slash TNT is where you can find us and links to our wiki, which has all our show notes. You can call us, 260-TNT-SHOW, and you can email us. Our electronic mail address is TNT, the at symbol, and twit.tv. We'll see you next time. Monday, Sarah's back. <laughs>